Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we're in studio again, and we're going to do a kind of smaller episode. This one is on how to join an Aikido dojo, but in particular, how to join or become a member at Sension Center. Obviously, this is for my own deshi and or for those who want to become one. But I think it can provide a kind of contrasting example to other dojo that are out there. And by extension, then, maybe a new perspective on things. Or again, at least a way of reinforcing one's own perspective in light of a contrasting example. And like with all things foundational, we're going to have to define our words, our terms. We're going to have to openly state our assumptions and the reasons for why they are held. And in that light, I think you'll find that this topic is much broader than how to become a deshi at Sension Center, or even how to join an Aikido dojo. As I've hinted in earlier episodes, I think a person that is looking to train in the art of Aikido should start by acknowledging the fact that there is no such thing as a single Aikido. Perhaps if they can to go beyond that and to see how the fabrication of a singular Aikido is an extension of a political will that rests at the heart of an Aikido institution. I think a lot of people confuse as they fall victim to the institutional will and wipe away this difference between the art and what an institution needs to package in order to sell it. I'm sure we have many examples of this in our daily lives. I don't have one off the top of my head, but um, it doesn't take much to go even from one dojo to another to see that people are doing different things. 
at the most, most mundane level. There's only so much you can wipe away under the umbrella of variation. But if you dig deeper, as with any decided upon action, you'll see that there are underlying assumptions, sometimes said, sometimes unsaid, sometimes thought, sometimes unthought. And that the differences that we see at mundane levels actually become quite large at the level of assumption. All that gets wiped away in institutional Aikido. But as a new person who is not yet a cog in an institution, you should be aware enough to note that these differences exist and they exist from superficial levels to highly profound levels. So my advice would be not that you look for an Aikido, for a dojo where you can train in Aikido, but that you go to look for a dojo. You can start out with some sort of general category of aikido so you 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 look on your on the internet or you walk your neighborhood and you go okay i'm going i'm going to look at dojo that state they are training in aikido so you limit your search amongst those but as you commence your search that you're really looking for the dojo that fits you. Martial arts in general has, especially East Asian martial arts, has a overlying history with the various temple systems that existed in China, Korea, Japan. And if you go back in history, contrary to today where we might say, oh, I want to study Zen or I want to study Chan. Centuries ago, you, you didn't say that. You went to this mountain temple or this mountain complex and you were there to study the tradition that was practiced according to the master or the abbot of that temple or of that network. There's a truth to this. And it's one that regardless of how hard the institution tries, it cannot really get away from it. 
This has to do with the fact that Aikido is ultimately a performance art and is not an academic area of study. And things that involve human performance are quite particular. And so it was centuries ago. Satori, or awakening, enlightenment, is a performance trait. And so it is equally particular, and what you studied was not necessarily a greater tradition known as Zen or Chan, but you studied the way of a particular teacher. We still see this in other fields, such as dance, At a generic entry level, you can hear people talk about, oh, I studied dance, but as you get higher in the quality of your performance, you will hear people speak as if they study with a particular teacher and they are learning that way of that teacher. Personally, I've always been very skeptical of institutions and of their will towards singularity, this act of fiction. Because personally, I don't like to be fooled. I think people participate in the fiction for less than virtuous reasons. And I don't like to participate in that either. As there are different Aikidos, there are different qualities of Aikido. And I think institutional Aikido tries to wipe that all away. And so people maybe of less than high quality skill through the institutional fiction of Aikido get their individual quality null and voided. And they gain the benefit of doing an Aikido as equal to anyone else's Aikido. You can see how a federation's will to disseminate and to generate new commercial markets would benefit from that. But at the level of the individual practitioner, this could be the beginning of your end. So my caveat is, look for the teacher. Start with the teacher. All of the assumptions about the transmission of the art are ultimately performance-based and as such, the individual quality of the teacher's art becomes paramount 
all of their underlying said and unsaid assumptions become paramount. As well as that teacher's capacity to actually transmit skill from themselves to another. These things should greatly outweigh any kind of generic search for any kind of political fiction known as Aikido to the point where if I could not see all three of those criteria being met in a way that seemed sufficient to me, but I did see them at another art, I would go to the other art. Secondly, I think you have to pay attention to what is this teacher's and this individual school's assumptions about me, the practitioner. Usually we come to it the other way. We, we only, we come as good consumers. Of course, this is part of modernity where the martial arts have sold themselves as commercial products. And this problem has gone so deep. It is by extension of this problem that we even begin to talk about this art or that art being good or bad. Because it is through a consumer model and through that institutional fiction of Aikido that we have, if not outright said, strongly hinted that the individual practitioner's quality is held entirely in the artistic nature of the art that is being practiced. We, we have moved away from whether the individual is themselves, for example, a good or poor fighter, to if they just learn these techniques, by default they will automatically be a good fighter which is, of course, incorrect. So I would drop this view and I would first ask, what does this school assume of me? There's a very practical reason for this question, and it is because, because training is performance-based, regardless to what degree, you will in all likelihood be asked for more than you expected. And so it is 
to your own service to determine what does this school expect of me? Because if you find that you're not willing or even antagonistic toward these expectations, you should move on. Find the school that is compatible with your aims, your personality, your expectations. Because the assumption that you can go join this school and you can fix it so that it aligns with your expectations, this is something akin to... We akin to entering into a relationship with someone who you know does not work for you and you have the intention of fixing them so that they do end up working for you. Meaning it's not going to happen. Save yourself some hardship. So there are some schools where There's very little expectations on the deshi. Pay this amount. You can show up when you want. You can, when you do show up, do the techniques how you want. There's some underlying assumptions there. We don't like a sensei, we prefer a coach model. Another underlying assumption under that. Training in the art does not develop a person. And so there's no reason to have any utilization of the sensei dynamic such as one who came before, there's no accumulated wisdom in or that comes through the training, and you get this kind of coach, kind of a class leader. I wouldn't even say a coach. So they will pick the stuff that you're going to train in. You get to do it to the degree that you want to do it. To the, at the frequency at which you want to do it, and you go on your way. I would say if you're looking for a school where the expectations are quite low on you, that would be one that meets that. It, at the same time, however, you should realize that your return is also going to be quite small. And I don't think you ought to put that on the school. Because outside of a dojo set of expectations or assumptions, there are still these kind of universal equations that must be met. And one of them in particular is that you get out of your practice what you put into your practice. And nothing is going to make that law irrelevant. In other dojo,
they might put a little bit more expectation for investment on you. It can often come in the shape of testing and or certificates and or larger school participation in the wellness of the institution or federation. You'll be expected to pay additional fees for your testing, for your belt, for your federation memberships. There'll be an assumption there too, and you have to decide whether this assumption meets your sense of reality or not. And the assumption is that these kind of symbolic things, rank, certification, federation allegiance, stand for skill or not. I think it's very common today to believe that these things do, but I again think that we're simply seeing a kind of institutional inertia where we believe it here as well. But in truth, this kind of symbolism is merely that. And the nature of a symbol is that it is ultimately not the real thing. So as rank or as certification stands for skill, it is by default, therefore, not skill. It is a symbolism that has other aims. Aims that are more often sociological or political then they are martial. But they will require things out of you as a practitioner. I remember when I started, um, I was surprised that I had to join the school. That made sense, I guess. I had to contribute to the upkeep and welfare of the school so that I could continue to have a place to train. But then came the federation fees. That seems strange to me. It was a kind of begging and the answers if you ask at all like why why are we in this federation is always something akin to well this way we uh you know we can go to seminars and we can meet at other schools and we can get our certification for rank And already, with a sleight of hand almost, you, you're not talking about things that give you skill or make you better. And this became more confounding when 
it came time to get rank and I you're asked again to pay another fee for the rank. And it was like, wait, I thought you told me that we pay for the Federation so I can get rank. Uh, yeah, I did. If your rank comes with another, another belt, you're going to have to pay for the belt. Which is strange. Is there an option to get the rank and not get the belt? Usually no. Then there's the testing fee in itself. It's a very strange process, but it is one that has nothing to do with skill development. In fact, in many ways, it actually subverts skill development. One way that always stood out to me is the following. When I was in the university, I noticed that people who were more interested just in the grade as a prerequisite and not necessarily interested in the material they always tended to cram as they just needed the grade to get the degree another piece of paper or they just needed the grade to get a prerequisite for another class it kind of lend itself to this cramming study studying habit so the student will flake off all quarter long come finals a week before finals week they just start cramming they're studying almost all day and night without sleep they put everything in their short term memory they go take the exam Of course, those kind of learning habits never really lend themselves. And so while you might get a pass, it's just a pass. I saw this same thing in dojo where I trained over the years. People cram for tests. They don't train all month. And come test time, a week or two before, they're there all the time. And they're hurrying, trying to get the techniques into their short-term memory banks. Of course, this is a kind of fetish of the technique, which of course is an underlying assumption of institutional Aikido, that you will put the technique above everything, including the artist. But this is a charade. Because from the point of view of skill, it's just not there. Memorizing a technique is not skill. Memorizing a technique is simply memorizing a technique.
So if the school's assumption is the memorization of techniques and if that assumption meets your expectations, go for it. But if your assumptions are skill and performance, you will be very unhappy in this kind of dojo until you buy into it. If your assumptions are precisely this, the memorization of techniques, and you come to a school where skill and performance is held above, you will have a miserable time in that dojo. So learn what expectations the dojo has for you. Three, I would say, spend some time pondering over the assumptions you have and or the school has. See if they are valid outside of your own worldview. Spend some time philosophizing. Double check whether it is you or whether it is they that might need to turn things around. For example, in sticking with this idea of memorizing techniques, there is no a priori value to something. Value determine, is determined upon some other aspect. And so an art, as it is practiced, may be right according to one perspective and wrong according to another. So sticking again with this example of prioritizing technique and the memorization of technique, Some schools where skill and performance is held above the latter, technique is actually the problem. You will learn technique, but ultimately you'll be learning technique to forget technique. Now, 
prioritizing the memorization of technique and prioritizing the forgetting of technique, they are not right or wrong in and of themselves. They only become such in light of some other value you would like to hold. So for example, you may have a very pleasurable Aikido training experience wherein your practice is centered around the memorization of technique. There will be social benefits, there will be physical fitness benefits, there will be psychological benefits in the sense of accomplishment. You'll gain a tribe, a group that will support you. In all likelihood, your tribe is going to be a pretty good tribe because it's made up of people that are getting all those benefits versus, for example, a tribe of meth addicts. Your quality of life is going to go up. And none of that will be There will not be a downside to that until you ask of it something it was never designed to do. So I would say, again, there are these kind of universal equations that you can't get around. And one of them is that form interferes with performance. but only under certain conditions. So the performance or the memorization of a technique as a performance is perfectly suited towards known and knowable environmental conditions. But it is 100% ill-suited towards unknown and unknowable environmental conditions. So as long as your assumption stays consistent, you're okay. Equally, if you're in the other type of school where technique is a problem to be worked through and ultimately there is an aim to forget technique, And you have this second value of performance. There will be an underlying assumption. Is this performance within known and knowable environments or within unknown and unknowable environments? You're going to find it's usually the latter. And should you want to perform only techniques as they are memorized, you will have a very hard time.
that will be a hell dojo for you. Now, after all that, and this is the third point here, you will have to decide which one is right for you. You will have to practice some introspection and, as I said, some philosophy. And label each kind of system here. With the value. Because the two simply do not and cannot coexist. So to review the first caveat is understand there's more than one Aikido. The second one, try to learn what that school's assumptions or expectations are of you. And the third one is after you learn a school's assumptions or expectations, do some philosophizing about it. See if you can gain some sort of objective value upon which to overlay over these systems of assumptions and practices, expectations. There's plus and minuses to each one. But they don't all do the same thing. This is key. If you understand that there are plus and minuses to each one, and you understand that they don't all do the same thing, you might come to see that while one school might be very or appear to be very difficult for you, it just might be worth it. That's key because another universal equation we have is the whole point of training is to become other. If I train and I remain the same, I will have subverted the very process. So the a priori understanding of training is if I come in as A, I should, through the hours spent, become non-A. It also carries with it the assumption that non-A is in, somehow, in some way more positive than A. Otherwise, again, there'd be no point to training.
but it is never a purely pleasurable experience to become other. And this remains true whether, regardless of what kind of dojo you go into. And so at some point, you're going to have to reach this moment where you decide, yes, this is difficult, this is trying, this actually has within me the desire arising to quit. I am asking myself if I need to do this. Is this even what I want? You will, have, you will reach that moment in any dojo you're in because of the very a priori definition of training. But in certain dojo where the expectation for self-investment is very high, they will also have a very high expectation for self-transformation. And as that degree is higher, so too is the degree of uncomfortability. In that moment, if you find that it is just not worth it to you, if the inherent value that you determine through your contemplation is not worth it, then why even start? But if that value is worth it to you and you understand this universal equation of A to non-A, of investment to return, and of the inherent resistance in the transformation process, then it's going to be worth it to you. And you should do it, even if it is difficult. In fact, no matter how difficult it is. An example of this is when you hear people talk about making it through special forces selection. It's not the strongest or the fastest, the biggest... They don't know who's going to make it. They seem to have some sort of personality characteristic wherein difficulty is not understood in the same way as it is for the people that quit. This is what I'm trying to get at. For a while there, my own law enforcement agency was having a 99% attrition rate. And when you would ask people at the beginning, why do you want to go into law enforcement, you'll hear the common things like, I always wanted to do it. I'm really called towards this. Maybe you ask later in the early stages of training, are you going to quit? No, I'm never going to quit. No, never. You see this too in like Bud's training. I always wanted to be a SEAL. They'll have to kill me before I quit. And then a little bit of difficulty comes and eh, that's not the case at all.
In many ways, everyone is ready to say it, but very few, and it's always been very few, are ready to actually live it. And I bring up this third point because if, if you're not even aware of these universal equations, if you're not aware that it's going to get uncomfortable because uncomfortability at a minimum is the marker for moving from A to non-A. It is the marker of training. If you have in your head the assumption that there should be no uncomfortability, then you don't have the slightest shot. And you probably are better suited at a school where transformation is either not expected or is either only to happen at a symbolic level. Four, I think you should check out as much as you can online. Everything is online now. It's, it, everything is on the internet. Not only look at the school's website, but look at the reviews. Find videos of the teacher and students. Both are important. Because you might have a very good teacher. It's not very common, but let's say you do. And very poorly skilled students. Well, that is telling you that this is not a teacher, this is a practitioner. And their capacity to transmit is really not there. The goal of every serious instructor is to make their students better than themselves, as is the goal of every deshi should be to be better than their teacher. But some schools have a different understanding of that, especially if it's a school where it's just a class leader. The class leader has no such obligation. I'm just running the techniques. We're doing these techniques. These are my favorite techniques. These are the ones I do. When the other class leader runs class, they do their favorite techniques. That's what you do. One day you might be running class. You do your favorite techniques. There's no responsibility for the trans transmission and the acquisition of skill. But in some places, it's very, very high. Again, if you're not ready for it, if you're not ready for the difficulty that comes with that expectation, don't even start. Don't come to the latter place where you just wanted some exercise and just show up here or there. It's going to make for a miserable time. It's 
So also look at places where this teacher has posted. Many, many teachers post all over the place now. So not just on their website. They might be on Web or Aikido Journal. Many groups on Facebook now. And when you're looking there, I would look at the degree of professionalism and the use of courtesy. Somebody who is bickering online with other people is spiritually immature. If that person is running A more traditional dojo versus a more institutional dojo, that's a bad combination. Meaning you might get away with it if all you have to do at your school is memorize techniques and perform those techniques in known and, and in knowable environments. You might get away with it. But if it's the other kind of school where the techniques are part of the problem and you're looking for performance in unknown and unknowable environments, that person can't get you there. This is because of the connections between spiritual maturity, ego reconciliation, and some of the finer points of the art. finer points that play a pivotal role in artistic spontaneity. That person cannot get you there. Pass. Most schools have emails. You can write. So whatever you can't see online, you can ask. Any questions, any concerns you have, you should make them known. Now's the time. You're nothing to that school. You're a consumer, so to speak. In your asking, of course, be polite, be professional, because it might be your school. And should we not be pro professional and courteous with everyone? Anyways, of course. Taking the time to act professionally and courteously in an email, shows or portrays that you are actually interested. And any teacher worth their salt would rather have a student who is interested over one who's not. So be polite. But ask the questions. and state your concerns.
look to understand their response, but at the same time, look into the style of their response. Is it discourteous? Is it unprofessional? When you go to the place, and you should, I can see you going there for two reasons and two reasons only. And one of them is not to see if you want to train there. Due to what style they are or what the teacher's assumptions are. You should already know all that. You can know all of that. It's online. If it's not, okay, go. But don't go once then. Go a lot. So you are going there to see if you want to train there, but in this sense only, in my opinion, Two reasons. One, is everything online consistent with what I'm seeing in reality? Because you do have people that portray their school in one way when it's not at all that way. It is very easy to make one seem bigger and more important and more accomplished online than they are in reality. And two, which is often overlooked, is the place clean? Are the bathrooms clean? Is the mat clean? Does it stink inside? Is there damaged walls, grime? The dirtiness of the dojo is a window into the investment of the dojo cho. And therefore their capacity for investment, which would mean if it's dirty, they have a low capacity for investment and therefore they probably have a low capacity for investing in you as the deshi. If you're in a dirty dojo right now with dirty bathrooms and it stinks like jock straps and moldy wet geese and people are getting ringworm all the time and you feel it's fine for the sake of experiment you should go try a clean school so you could see what investment really is and how much is actually possible. For me, if a person has a sixth don, shihan status, 
and the bathrooms reek. I'm out. Because it's that gap between the symbol and what it symbolizes that is being portrayed in that filth. So check it out for cleanliness. For me at this point, a person's already done quite a bit of contemplation, introspection, investigation. And so the next step for me is just to join and then to shut up. To practice Shoshin. To accept. To understand the discomfort that comes with transformation. And to invest as much as I can. But again, my goal might be different from yours. My goal would be to learn the art. I don't know why I'm there if I'm not there to learn what this person is teaching me. And this is the most efficient way of learning. It is not humility for the sake of a power-tripping instructor. It is humility as humility always is, which is it is self-serving. The capacity to get out of my way, the capacity to be humble gets me better, faster. Oftentimes in... in forums and articles you constantly hear the caveat against the instructor like the instructor is 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 pivotal to learning and is the one most responsible for sabotaging a student's learning i beg to differ I'm coming up on 40 years of training and over 30 years of, of teaching, and I will tell you by far, the biggest obstacle to learning is ourselves. Getting out of our own way is so powerful, a transformative energy. I would go further than most and say that even if your teacher sucks, you will still transform from A 
to Nane, and it will still be positive in nature. Humility is a kind of superpower. And when you can practice it everywhere in your life, you can. You are ultimately a superhero. We are and we have always been our biggest obstacle. Relatedly, even the scamming teacher is countered by true humility. This is because any time for any scam to work, it only works because the person being conned is themselves lusting for power or material gain or symbolic or cultural capital or an easy route. They're trying to get something themselves. Here, naturally, I'm speaking of adult to adult. Even, and let us not forget, you did all this other work beforehand. Before you get it, you got in that school and you start practicing Shoshin. That's important. Because if you're getting scammed because that person's scamming you, you didn't do your work. But if you did your work, you're not experiencing a scam. You're experiencing your own homeostatic energy to not go outside your comfort zone. You are experiencing the resistance to non-A transformation. And if you could but find some shoshin of decent enough quality, what you find is that you as the deshi are always the taker. So I say do all that work. And then when you come in, regardless of what school it is, whether it be institutional Aikido or whether it be 
something very much akin to the old temple systems of ancient China where you're coming to learn this teacher's path to awakening. Once you come in, come in. Don't half-ass it. Get out of your own way. This is huge. I remember one time with my teacher, we were being asked to do a Joe ski and then jump over a bunch of people that were in a line on the mat, you know, to see how far you could do a jumping roll following a Joe ski. And I think we had like two or three in our group that could actually do it. The rest would jump at angles. Which is a clear sign you already know you're not going to make it. So you're obviously not trying to make it. And the technique we were going to do required this kind of ukemi that you could instantaneously transfer energy from Joski into a projecting forward roll. We learned that the hard way because when we did do the technique one of us got their knees hyperextended, fractured, pressed backwards for not being able to do the ukemi. But that night as people were continually, or let's say the majority of our class was continually jumping at angles, and would not stop, would not jump and end up crashing on people if we did, if we didn't make it, would not stop. He left, and he uttered a phrase akin to, if you can't receive the art, if you cannot do Kemi, I cannot teach you the art. If you cannot receive the art, I cannot transmit the art. This has always stayed with me. Later I got another version of this as I was opening my own school and I asked for some advice and one of the 
tendency gave me was never lose shoshin. I think looking at these things together, you have a person of more experience, so likely understanding what works and what doesn't work, what gets in the way and what doesn't get in the way. And he is telling you, me in this case, exactly what I have said. We are our biggest obstacles. We are most responsible for why we do not learn. We are our walls, our headwinds. And the best thing you can do, if you want to learn, is to learn how to get out of your own way. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N. C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.